that the the question is letting the public see it, and there have been ten or fifteen movies trying to shave off all imagery, pretensions of poetry, illusions of grandeur. I call Allah Dylan, Dylan-esque. You know, I didn't want any of that. Just say what it is, simple English. Make it rhyme and put a backbeat on it, and express yourself as simply as straightforwardly as possible. Happy Halloween. It's <laughs> not <laughs> Halloween yet. Yeah, but this will be the Halloween episode. Right. So, happy Halloween. <laughs> happy Every, Halloween. Everybody. <laughs> yes, indeed. This is another episode of It's Not That Deep. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Me and Martin have just watched Barry Sonnyfield's 1999... 98... Film wasn't this directed by Steven Spielberg? Ah, uh, we're gonna get into that. No, oh, it right. wasn't directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, it was produced by Steven Spielberg. But the film in question is The Men in Black, one of my favourite films. Um, I've not actually seen it in a while. It was great, but um, Martin has seen it before, but many years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I didn't didn't remember the the plot or nothing till I've seen it now. Obviously. So it's a pretty well-watched film, so I'm quite comfortable talking about, you know, like the whole plot and everything. If you've not seen it, just go out and watch it before you listen to this because it's it's before, well worth your time. Before you ask me, what did you think of the film? Let's do a switcheroo. A switcheroo? I love that film. Um, why? I guess I'll talk about why I loved it when I first saw it when I was a kid. Um to make a long story short, it's the scope and scale of the film that I enjoy, Martin. Like, the way it looks, the kind of... the grandness of it all. Like, the crazy space... The... 
Oh, let me articulate it. I love a lot about this film. I love the... You love a lot. The the space shots. And the, yeah, they're quite cool. Yeah, and it's, it's quite good for its time, you know, mm-hmm. 90s, 90s CGI and everything. I love it for its set, like the design of everything and props and the design of the set is crazy. Like that shot when Ager, uh, Bugman, is wheeling the flying saucer into the truck on the ranch. That's a crazy shot. Why? It's just framed ridiculously. It looks like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's doing something... You know what I mean? Like yeah. It, it looks... Doing something dumb because you know he's not going to fit at the back of that truck. Yeah, exactly. But it somehow does. Uh, there's just loads of crazy angles and just shots in this film that are mad. Like, whenever they walk into the Men in Black building... Or was this massive shot of that building? And then they walk into that room, and there's that fan, and that, them two fans, yeah, yeah, and that dude sat there. Like I always remembered that as a kid; it like made an impression on me. And then the special effects, well, not special effects, like the costumes for the aliens, which are all done by a man called Rick Baker, who's famous for the Thriller video. Um, American Werewolf in London, uh, Star Wars, everything in Star Wars that you see. Oh. It's all like Rick Baker. He's like the man for... Costumes. Those kind of, you know, in the Men in Black uh, office, all the aliens, that's all Rick Baker. And they're all like real. None of it's like CGI. That's his like whole deal. So in... Two, three, and four, are they... All Rick Baker, even the new one. Even the new one? I think... Like, Spielberg, I don't think is in... Right, I could be dead wrong about this. No, it's Barry... It's the director, Barry Sonnefeld, that's not involved in the new one. Spielberg is involved, and I think Rick Baker's involved, although he's kind of retired now, but he, like, oversees things. He, he's got a Joe Rogan, Rick Baker has. Uh, it's well worth listening to. It's quite what recent. What they talk about? His career, because he's like, you you will have seen so many films that feature his uh, his costumes. Right, the list is endless. Um, but you don't really long s- list. Yeah, like you don't really see. It's a dying craft what he does because it's all getting replaced with like, yeah, CGI, C- CGI, yeah, and stuff like that. So um, that's always a joy to see, and then it's gonna soon become classic. Too. Yeah, definitely. That whole vibe will die with Rick Baker, basically. But then I th- think I'm right in saying that a man called Bo Welch also did a lot of the production design and set design for this film. Um, and he <laughs> he's directed one film in his life, and it's the Mike Myers <laughs> version of The Cat in the Hat, which is a very controversial... Have you ever seen that? No. Oh, my God, we're watching that one day. What? Cat in the Hat? Yeah, Cat in the Hat, but Mike Myers... I don't know. Do you know who Mike Myers is? is Austin he... Powers. Yeah. Well, no. This will be a real treat for you, Martin, but... I feel like Mike like... Myers is a... Um, a killer of some sort. Oh, they Yeah, you're thinking they... of Michael Myers, um... He's Mike Michael. Isn't that Freddy? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Let's not get bogged down in this. <laughs> I'm I not sure. I don't. To be honest, Mike Myers is an actor. 
who plays many roles, well-known roles, uh, one of them being Austin Powers is the one that you've probably heard of. Mm -hmm. But in 2004, Bo Welch directed a live-action Cat in the Hat film. I don't know if you're aware of the Cat in the Hat. Yeah, that guy with the stripe. You've seen, like, yeah, you've seen the Cat in the Hat, so you know the style of Mm -hmm. how he's drawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's like Dr. Zeus, who wrote those and drew those books. All his books are in that same style. It's very unique to the books. Bo Welch attempted to uh, bring that world alive Mm -hmm. in live action. Now, the film gets absolutely rinsed for Mike Myers's um, well, just performance. (laughs) It's very modern. It's very early two thousands. They take. Have you seen the Scooby Doo live action film? Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, similar to I love with Scooby Doo. Well, in the sense that if you watch a Scooby Doo cartoon, it's quite like traditional comedy mm-hmm. whereas the live action scooby-doo they're like <laughs> referencing weed and there's like all these punk songs skateboard mm-hmm. culture in the film and it uh, people don't like it for that but that scooby-doo film was actually made by the guy who james gunn who does guardian to the galaxy yeah which is funny um but the cat in the hat film was done by bo welch and the world itself that's in that cat in the hat film is incredible and it's all done by him well, he directed the film and he did the set design. He was involved in the aesthetics of this film and all of the Men in Blacks. And that new series of Unfortunate Events series that came out on Netflix. He did some episodes of that, which also has mental set design. Um, so... They all look very... Rick Baker, Bo Welch, I rate their efforts in this film. Gracious. <laughs> I actually like... Tommy uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, you know, like, their whole... They're two characters, J and yeah. K, and they have a great back and forth. He's, like, hard. I didn't... I even forgot that he got... Um, Neuralised. Yeah. Because I, rem- I remember that on three. Have you seen two and three? I don't remember two, but I, th- I swear on three they like go back to save him. That's two. Is that two? Oh no, three. Well, yeah, they. Oh, I don't want to ruin two in case we watch two, but yeah. they kind of go back to save him in both. You could say. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I'm down to watch uh, two and three. Two and three as and well. And then the new like one, a... International. It's called Men in Black International. Is it? Yeah. Um, you asked me at the beginning. Well, you mentioned Steven Spielberg. Right, yes. Who uh, is involved in this film as a producer. And if you look at the films that Steven Spielberg has produced, in my opinion, it's actually far more interesting than the films he's directed. Uh, Why did you say that? Because a producer can mean, like, a whole lot of different things on a film. It can mean someone that, like, has a lot of money and is, like... Investing. Yeah, just treating it as an investment sort of thing. And, like, they have a mild... Not a project. Well, they just kind of have a mild understanding of what it's about and agree with it and see it as a good investment opportunity. Mm -hmm. Or it can be someone that is incredibly passionate about the film and is a producer for that reason and is, like... You know what I mean? There's very... It can be just seen as an investment or it can be seen as a passion piece. And some films have, like, eight or nine producers... And then there's executive producers that are, they play that same role, but they're just less involved in the film. 
again, and it's just more an investment. Yeah, than an yeah, a project. Um, but when Steven Spielberg produces a film, it basically means that, like, he wants to do it for a reason because it, like, falls in line with the rest of his work. And, like, if you look at his filmography as a whole, like, directorial roles and producer roles, there is, like, a... Well, there's, like, beats that he plays to. There's things that he likes. Mm -hmm. He likes... Does he ever put anything in film that he produces... And directs that are so like similar. They maybe a hidden Easter egg into a film that he's producing instead of directing. What the reference, like maybe he's directing uh, yeah. films or something yeah. like that. Um, normally, he has a company called Ambling or Amblin, A M B L I N, and that is the name of his first ever film. Number one. Number two, it kind of means just like going for a walk, you know, just ambling, mm -hmm. ambling about. That's the name of his company. And normally you'll see like the ambling logo at the beginning of all the films he produces. Because that, and like Medal of Honor, that game series, yeah. that, that's an ambling production. Is it? Yeah, yeah. He So again, that first Medal of Honor game on the PS1, Steven Spielberg was like incredibly involved in the making of it from like, idea to release then he kind of like let the series go and be its own thing and was less and less involved but it was this thing that he gave the idea for and the heart of it um and there's loads of projects like that an example would be shrek that is a project that is produced by steven spielberg um, but directed by someone else and and then there's dreamworks as well is like owned by steven spielberg Dreamworks. Yeah. Or he... I could be, like, wrong about the business of that, but there's definitely... Definitely, like, a, what's the word? Synergy between Amblin and Dreamworks. And that opens it up to a whole other thing. But then Shrek... Dreamworks was set up as... Dreamworks is known as, like, the rival to Pixar... You know, they make animated films yeah. in the same way Pixar do. And it's... Do you know of a film called Ants? The Insects? <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> Brogan behind us. He he knows all about ants. But it's a film that was released in the uh, late 90s. It's about ants. But Pixar at the time were releasing a film called Bugs Life. You've probably heard of that. Oh, yeah, I think... I know what you're talking about. I think I've told whole... you about this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, where... Somebody left Pixar. It's like Ants was made as a retaliation to Pixar making Bugs Life. They were being made at like exactly the same time. And it's incredibly like coincidental that those two ideas, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah, appeared yeah. at the same time. Um, and I think that's like the first ever DreamWorks film. Ants. Ants. Yeah, so everyone at Pixar's like, fuck DreamWorks. Like, you know what I mean, from like an instant... But then... Were there any... Pixar... Lawsuits or... Well, yeah, there was, like, a whole thing. And what ended up happening is... Because Pixar's Disney. That's got the whole... Pixar's its own thing, and they have their own films that began with Toy Story. Mm -hmm. um, but then, obviously, Disney's its wider thing that began with Snow White back in, like, the 40s. So that's, like, a massive company that's affected culture and, like, everyone knows it. 
So then DreamWorks does its thing, and its first film is pretty much like a alleged Pixar rip-off sort of thing, stolen from them. And then the second film they make is Shrek, which is a film about um, an angry <laughs> ogre being very angry at all the fairy tale creatures being in his swamp. Yeah. Which is quite funny. And then they go to the head of where all the fairy tales come from, and there's this man called Lord Farquaad, which <clears throat> I don't actually subscribe to this, but a lot of people think it's like a twist on the term fuckwad. But nevertheless, oh. they are completely making fun of Disneyland and the whole thing. Like, think when Shrek turns up to uh, do lock where Lord Farquaad lives. Dun, 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 dun. Welcome to do lock. And there's like all the people wearing costumes and it's a complete piss take of the whole thing. Um, Just like Disney. And that's pretty. That's yeah. like why DreamWorks exists, basically. Mm-hmm. So my point is, is that the things that Steven Spielberg produces, he like uh, puts his heart and soul into. He does it all like it's another string to his bow. He's expanding his uh, repertoire. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But back to Men in Black. And Men in Black is one of those <laughs> efforts where he's, that's right. he has done so. Um, and it just continues is, you know, anyone that listened to our Close Encounters of the Third Kind episode will remember me talking about Steven Spielberg's fascination with, like, aliens, ufology, UFOs, any of that sort of stuff. And this film's actually, like, again, it, it's done its research. There's loads of little things in it that are, like, as you asked me, the original question, are there Easter eggs in the films and stuff like that? Yeah, this film's, like, chock full of them. Um, we should probably talk about, like, Men in Black. What is that? What do you mean, what is that? <laughs> is this a movie? Nah. <clears throat> so, the term Men in Black would refer to, I don't know... Govern- men gov- in black. <laughs> men that wear black, no. That's well, right. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. It does refer to that. <laughs> but it refers to... Um, Government agents, conspicuous government agents that visit people that have had paranormal and supernatural experiences and tell them to keep quiet about it. And they're often. But do you think that's what's actually happening? Well, oh, the first instance—the first instance, Martin, of the Men in Black being uh, spoken about in this sense would be connected to the first time the term flying saucer was ever used which is quite interesting that they come together mm-hmm. sort of thing the first time we ever heard the term flying saucer is kenneth arnold in 1945 46 or 47 one of those three years i promise you um and he he was a pilot that saw six things flying in a v-shaped formation near a mountain called mount rainier whilst he was flying a plane was it raining no rainier i know i'm just saying oh was it rain i thought you were talking about the name of the mountain um i don't know the weather conditions okay i cannot comment on that but what i can say is then he reported this to the press and they asked him what it looked like and he said it looked like um, when you, if you were to throw a, a saucer on water, and it would skim, you know, like a plate on water. Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of where the term flying saucer comes from. Then two other men appear on the scene, one called Harold Dahl and another called Fred Chrisman. And he, those two men say that they saw the same thing near where Mount Rainier is. Um, and it's pretty mad because apparently they saw one of the objects stop and it looks like it's like it's hovering and it's broken and it's dripping this weird liquid that lands on Harold Dahl's dog and kills it like in front of them. They're on a boat at the time when this happens. And the other things are like hovering around this thing and it's like, and then they fly off. And this all sounds like absolute nonsense. Yeah. It sounds, yeah, like crazy talk. It's significant because the fly, term flying source is used for the first time, but other than that, it's just the ravings of three lunatics. But then there's just some weird things about it, Martin. It could have happened. Somebody tried to cover it up. Well, then two men... Well, Fred Chrisman and Harold Dahl claim that men visited them after they went to the press with this story about the dog. So it's like Kenneth Arnold sees this thing, that makes the paper. Harold Dahl, Fred Chrisman then speak to the press and say, we saw the same thing, mm -hmm. tell the dog story. And then these men turn up at their house and individual houses and speak to them and say, you're never ever going to talk about this anymore and like threaten them. And the way they get spoken about is like, uh, it's quite funny. It's like they refer to them as, it's like aliens were trying to be humans. Like they're wearing suits and they pull up, you know, very much like in the film, like in the car with the sunglasses and everything, mm. but their skin's like white and things are just off. Yeah. Basically. Um, that's just you know they're not proper humans. Well, yeah, there's just something unspecifically unsettling about them um and that begins so it's it's mad like right there on the first case you've got like all the tropes that end up in this film and that we come to know what yeah. happens like in the space of a, of a week in the 1950s well that's an hour in galactic uh time. Oh, in galactic standard time yeah yeah um but then that's like the most credible bit of the whole UFO kind of world mm -hmm. right there. Like, that's a bit of, like, real interesting information there. Then what? Just another side note. That Fred Chrisman character. Once you get looking, if you ever look into uh, the conspiracy surrounding the assassination of JFK, mm -hmm. you'll come to find the term grassy knoll. Now, what Grassy Knoll refers to... I heard that before. Yeah, you... It, well, yeah, I'll explain. The bullet... Lee Harvey Oswald was meant to have shot from a book depository out a window. That's where the bullet was meant to have come from. But then there's this spot... If you watch... That was the official story that Lee Harvey Oswald shot from the book depository. Then this dude called Zipporah... I've never said that out loud. I've only ever seen that written down... He released footage of the assassination where you see his head explode and everything. And his head, you see him get shot twice. There's like a back and forth movement, basically. Really? Yeah, or like back and to the left is what they say. It like back and then to the left because there's multiple bullets like hitting him and stuff like that. So you guys, like that, all like that. Yeah. Like that. 
You could watch it if you want. It's it's brutal stuff. Um, but it would imply that one of the bullets came from a different direction. Yeah, his right, um, which is this area, Daily Plaza, where that incident happened, is like probably one of the most mapped out areas in the world because of everyone trying to decipher this assassination. It's been analysed from every angle. You know, it's only like it's a park that he was driving. Well, it's like a, it's a plaza. If you can imagine such a thing. So, like, uh, <laughs> grassy areas, road running through the middle of it, kind of a, play, a public have you space. Seen the Umbrella Academy. Yeah, yeah, where? Season two. I've not seen season two. Never mind then. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't want to ruin it for you. Yeah, don't do That's that. It's a good story. But Daily Plaza. There's this area over to the right that is like a little hill where there's a fence. And that would be the grassy knoll. That would be where that bullet came from. On the day of JFK's assassination, there's a pretty famous picture of three men near that area being led off by a policeman. And these three men are referred to as the three tramps. Okay? Mm -hmm. And they are like <laughs> these uh, mysterious figures that are the other shooters, I suppose, to a lot of people. Um... One of these men is 100% Fred Christman. In the famous Three Tramp picture. There is... 15 years separating the Kenneth Arnold event and the JFK assassination. How mental is it that this dude pops up at both those events? And Fred Christman is 100% in court for the JFK thing. He's like one... It's not just this picture where it could be Fred Christman. He turns up in court 100%. So he's involved in the JFK assassination and the beginning of the Men in Black idea and the first ever term of the use flying saucer. And in the JFK trial, he was there's the man called Clay Shaw that the whole JFK thing got pen pegged on. He like he would. It's very complicated. But it it was, seems very suspicious. It was like a group of people that did the JFK. So they did the... Well, this... I just... At the JFK trial, it came out that he was working for, like, a government agency. Or it was... He was accused of working for a government agency, which he denied. Which would make a lot more sense why he turns up at all these weird events over the... Yeah. Period so did that flying saucer thing that killed... That guy's dog mm. that was one of them three men was the one that was seen at the jfk yeah so did that happen before that or was it after that so it the ufo event was like i've got it on i've got it open as a tab actually um 1947 june 21st that's when okay the flying saucer and jfk was in 1963. That's like a significant That's period 17 of time. years. That is like a significant period of time, and it's mad that he like pops up at both those things as a significant player. It's not just like a dude watching the JFK assassination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like very involved. Yeah. Um, so it's when you start to look at things like that, it's very easy. You know, Kenneth Arnold's initial tale of, oh, I saw flying saucers in the sky and then people start thinking of aliens and all, all sorts of weird stuff. 
but it could be something like completely... Obviously, 1947 is a significant year if we're talking about UFOs because that's when uh, the Roswell thing happened. Which is? You don't know about Roswell? Well, that's like the big UFO thing that everyone knows about. Like, that's any time you've heard of a UFO landing in the desert, that's because of Roswell. Okay. And that was... Roswell's bigger than the Kenneth Arnold thing, but... The Kenneth Arnold thing's so much more interesting. It's almost like Roswell. Maybe he was there as well, but we just didn't see him. Hang on, I'm just going to see if Roswell was before Maori Island and Kenneth Arnold. Because if it's after, then it's almost like Roswell happens to draw attraction away from Kenneth Arnold. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the Roswell thing's like a proper, it's a military situation mm-hmm. it's not like civilians dealing with it so july july this is mad it's all like on the same week martin roswell kenneth arnold it's like the events it's like july 6th to oh no june 21st so kenneth arnold mary island happens first fred chrisman and the dog that happens first then Three weeks later, Roswell happens. But what is Roswell? So Roswell, okay, is... You've got a man that owns a ranch in Roswell, New Mexico. And he says he hears a loud explosion out in the desert. And he goes out to look. And there's bodies and there's metal everywhere. The military turn up, take it all away. That... Rancher, his name is Mac Brazal or something like that. I've seen interviews with him. Um, it seems like he has been like handled since that event, like by the military and government. Yeah, basically different different authorities. Well, there's like no credible information on the man. Yeah. Very quiet yep. sort of thing. They delete um, all his information. Well, no, he exists he and stuff. A man in but black. you just think people, when they have these events, normally write books and like go, you know what I mean, try and yeah. sell it. Um, but he's one of those very quiet ones. And there's rumors of him having pieces of the wreckage and stuff like that. He, he there's one, and he's just really quiet about it. Yeah, and he's like chill about it. But um, that's a whole thing. But then, so he saw bodies. Well, yeah. Humans, or was it? Well, okay. So, the military, the next day, post the headlines on the paper, and you can buy this paper of the Roswell paper from the day afterwards, and it says, Flying Saucer Found. Massive letters. It's like this big deal. The next day's paper (laughs) says, Weather Bluton Found. Flying Saucer Not. You know, flying saucer. It wasn't a flying saucer, it was a balloon. Yeah, and there's a dude from the army called Jesse Marcel, who again, Jesse Marcel's a bit different. If um, He's done loads of interviews. And there's a very famous picture of him holding a load of, like, weather balloon material, like tinfoil-looking-like material. But then he's gone on to... I don't think he's alive now, but he lived well into the 2000s. And this happened in, what, 47? Mm-hmm. So he's, like, old by then. But he was talking... He was way into, like, the UFO game and was talking about seeing metal that could bend, like, tissue paper but then snap back and you couldn't 
rip it and stuff like that. And yeah, and he said like the military didn't know what was going on and they were like panicking, so they had to like cover the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about bodies, loads of people. Roswell's just like the biggest one. Like everyone knows about. Ro- that's just like if you if a game's got an Easter egg about UFOs, it's going to be about Roswell. Um, I've never thought about the fact that all this UFO activity happens in, like, one week in 1947. <laughs> um, 1947. So, then she happened, and three weeks later... Roswell, Roswell happens. So they more of them came. Well, the idea about Roswell, 1947's, like, significant, I suppose, because it's this weird period of time where World War II's over, but they've not in... <laughs> Right, now I'm going to look at when the CIA was invented, okay? When was it formed? And what you're going to find is it was found on September 18th, 1947, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, in three months, you see what you see? Like, how they're moving. They're All these things are happening. People's dogs are being killed. Things are leaking things from the sky. Real quick. Basically, it's happening real quick. Things are moving. It look if it, it's quite panicky. You know yeah. what I mean, like. But they contained it quite well to not have it go out of control. If it, if it. Well, someone seems to be doing something. Yeah. We're not. I'm not seeing UFOs in the sky. I've never seen a UFO. You know what I mean. Yeah. So something's going on where I don't know. It's being suppressed, but. There you go. All within the space of a month. No, two months. You get the invention of the word flying saucer, the invention of the idea of government. So the idea of government agents exists pre-CIA. Coming and speaking to Fred Chrisman and Harold Dahl. Um, I'm just thinking, I know reams about 1947. I could make... A film about 1947. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so you think this was, this movie was based on that? Yeah. Well, there's loads of references to, I was just thinking of how we're going to get back to Men in Black from her, which is easily done. When um, he's fired his, when Will Smith has fired his weapon off at the bug who's driving the truck down the street, and Kay says to him, we don't fire our weapons in public. There's a there's a reason that, uh, you know, we act like we act so these people can go about their day. Mm-hmm. Um, Will Smith then walks over to the van and he starts, they're all looking at the flying saucer inside and he says, oh, some, some swamp gas reflected off of Venus. <laughs> yeah. Now that quote just there relates directly to this whole saga of what was going on because the events of the summer of 1947 led to um, the government setting up their first public UFO investigations and it would go Project Grudge, Project Sign, Project Blue Book and then they'd close it in the 60s saying that they were of no threat to the public and that was like the end of the matter. That would be the end of this saga basically where 40s all this crazy stuff happens, and then by the 60s, they've kind of set up this public relations office and dismissed it all. But the man who ran those projects was called J. Allen Hynek. And 
he's known as the man who said UFOs didn't exist, but he never said that wasn't his deal. He just said that like 90% of the claims are nonsense. There's a very unexplainable 10% that he, you know, believed in and maintained, but he dealt mostly with absolute nonsense. Um, to which he invented the term. He said, I don't know if it was about Roswell, but it was about a, a UFO case in the 1940s or 50s that it was swamp gas reflecting off of Venus. And there he... <laughs> apparently that's it. So they, look, they looked this up and so there's they did their research. There's li this is what I mean when I say the film's done its research. Is yeah. like, you can feel Spielberg's touch on it. And, you know, if you listen to our Close Encounters of the Third Kind episode... I completely lay out Steven Spielberg's, like, relationship with very real events of ufology. Like, he's not interested in, like, nonsense. He puts the well-documented events into his films. Mm -hmm. Medal of Honor. There's loads of stuff about, like, the Germans and their dealings with the UFO thing. I have Steven Spielberg to thank for being aware of a lot of this stuff. Because he puts these rabbit holes in his films that you can like be aware of if you pay you know if you're paying attention look into it and look into it yeah it is that deep with mr spielberg sometimes very it's deep <laughs> it's deeper than we've ever gone before yeah but then there's bits in this films that i did that i like on a real basic level like the two dudes on the bike covered in bulbs you notice them There's a bit when he walks, um, Will Smith walks out of the shop. Um, it's just before he gets neuralized for the first time. And he's blown that dude Jeebs' head off. And he, they step outside and he kind of, Will Smith steps out first and he's taking a look around and he's kind of taking in the whole thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the events of the evening and Kay walks out and says, um, finding a moment to assess what's happened he says it better than that <laughs> but he says something to that effect and two guys ride past and they're wearing completely black um morph suits with light bulbs all over it on a tandem bike and it's just something that like the camera pays attention to and they watch them go down the street and they're in every men in black film and it's never explained <laughs> it's great What could it be? Well, I think I have seen the director talk about it where he's like... I, I didn't even notice it, to be honest. Yeah. At this one, they don't dwell on it too much. It's not like... They don't make too much of a big deal about it. It's quite a quick shot. But um, I think I've seen the director say that it's, it is just one of those things where it's like, I just like the look of it. Bit so he puts bit, it in every film. Well, it's a bit David Lynch, isn't it? Like, mm -hmm. I just like the feel of it sort mm -hmm. of thing. So it ended up in the film. Um But what did you think of the film? It was great. You enjoyed it? I did enjoy it, yeah. It's, um... Had some funny bits. It is a funny film. Yeah. I mean, just Will... Will Smith's character just constantly saying bullshit. Like, <laughs> it's all bullshit! I'm like... Will Smith and it, Alien it, films is hilarious. <laughs> like... We speak about this all the time, but we watched Independent Day ones together, and I'd never seen it. And I, I could, I was flabbergasted. <laughs> like, there's this whole build-up to seeing the aliens in that film. It takes like an hour before you see one, and he just opens the 
the door of the ship, pulls the alien out and goes, welcome to America, bitch, and punches it in the <laughs> face. I couldn't believe it. Um, He's always in... It's similar in this film. Some good films. He's always in some good alien films. He's always like... Him uh, and his family, like him and Jaden, have an active interest in spiritual matters. It's obvious. What was that film that they made? The Pursuit of Happiness. No. Seven Pounds. Nope. After Earth. That one. Why do I know this many Jaden Smith, Will Smith films? I don't know. Um, I've not seen it. Have you not seen it? No. We were gonna see it when it came out. I remember that being in the cinemas. But I saw, I saw it had all four reviews, so I didn't go. I've seen it. It's good. You enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. it I think too bad. The critics have just turned against Will Smith these days. Um, it might be good. People don't like, but they don't understand. Well, Will Will Smith's character is pretty timeless. Like he is just himself in all films, which is great. Um, I think because he's a good guy. Well, just he portrays himself as a good yeah. guy. He's he's kind of sassy uh, and provocative, but then still good moraled and a good person is how he comes across in all his films, sort of thing. Um, Obviously, we don't know him personally. I don't know him personally, but you. <laughs> you take note of how someone portrays themselves, especially in this world of social media, Martin, where we have many different, uh, you know, avenues to view someone's life and see what they choose to show us. But then looking at Jaden's, like, music career as well, it's like, oh, he's well into, like, some of the more far-out stuff. Ideas. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Jaden's really far-reaching. Um, so then you, you can just see, well, he's probably got that from his dad to an extent because the films that Will has chosen to be part of are pretty like of a good moral fibre in my opinion they're all like showing people they're either showing humans uh, being confronted with things that are hard to deal with and then going through hard times and like the strength of humanity and that's why I think this... uh, yeah a lot of his films are quite like nurturing yeah I, I really it sounds dumb, but, like, you know, actors have careers and they spend their whole lives, like, choosing projects to be a part of and uh, millions of pounds go into the production of things like this. You may as well make it something that's good for people because you see what happens to culture when we do things that <laughs> only whip up... Uh, <laughs> You know, discuss mindless behavior. Um, what does happen? Want to tell the world? And we just get delinquency. You know, which isn't good. Rights. Well, no, just things that don't f further the betterment of mankind. And a man like Will Smith seems to have that in mind somewhat in his uh, creative output. Do you think that's him? Or do you think that's... Well, I think the people that I've mentioned, Rick Baker, Bo Welch, uh, the director Barry Sonfeld and Steven Spielberg, Will Smith, you can see like a shared line of thought between those people's ideology if you go and look at their uh, careers. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I don't know, that's what I look for these days, is like that shared point of view creatively. And it's like, you can feel it in the film. Like, every every part of this film works really well together. From the set design to the plot to the way the two actors work, it looked like it was a joy to be on, sort of thing. And in fact, I just remembered something that can completely back up my whole shit. All right. Will Smith didn't want to do this film because he'd just done Independence Day and he didn't want to become known as the alien dude. Right. And Steven Spielberg rang him and had a personal one-on-one conversation with him where he was like, you should do this film because, like, it's important, man, with, like, laying out what the men in black are. They're this, like, before this film, they were seen as, like, this bad, maybe evil thing, and who knows what they are, but this film completely shifted the image of what people know. People think men in black, they think Will Smith now. They don't know anything about Fred Chrisman and Kenneth Arnold and Harold Dahl, you know what I mean? What... Do you think that Steven Spielberg, Spielberg had um, some knowledge of this before going into making this film and thought, okay, we'll make it so ridiculous that people will think it's a film, but it could be true? Spielberg made a series two years after this film called Taken. It's a mini-series. It's like seven, eight episodes, mm-hmm. an hour long each. It was only released... It was like small time. Mm-hmm. It was on television, sci-fi channel, I think. Right. When it first came out. It's quite hard to find. It's called Taken. And each episode addresses a different specific UFO case. Be it, well, they're like fictionalized versions. I think one of them is like Roswell. Um, and it has, I think the only actor that I know in it is Dakota Fanning. And she's like really young in it and um if you watch that and then it's like yes spielberg has loads of know how about this topic like it's obvious like it's he's literally like showing you can go if you go on wikipedia you know we live in this world where we like don't think ufos exist but if you go on wikipedia and type in ufo you're gonna find a big list of like reported cases um and from there, you can click on each of those cases and, you know, you'll find things like Jesse Marcel holding the tinfoil that makes the whole thing look very silly. But then finding out Fred Chrisman and things like that make you... <clears throat> you start to view the thing a bit differently and stop looking at it as little green men with ray guns and looking at it more as like a government thing. What do you think about the tinfoil hats? I, th- I don't know where that came from. Isn't the idea behind tin four hats is that they stop evil forces coming into your head? Yeah, like I mean that's just great. Like thought waves. I don't fucking know. Yeah, that, to me, all that stuff happening in 1947 is a lot more credible than the idea of having to wear a tin foil hat all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's credible stuff. Um. What did you ask me about Men in Black? Steven Spielberg had prior knowledge of the UFO phenomenon before making the film. The first film we ever made was called Firelight. I thought you said it was Amblin. 
Right. Amblin was the first full feature film he made. Like, done, finished, and was, like, on television. Okay. I think. Firelight was, like, what we do with Soup's Up. That sort of film. Short film. um, I don't think the whole thing's ever been seen. But it's about an event very much like you may find if you type in UFO on Wikipedia, an unspecific UFO event in California. And that's... He was 14, 15. When he made that? Yeah, yeah, young, really young. When he first met, he's like, this is why he's like the great because he's like been interested in this since he was like very, very young and he was making films on tape. I see when Firelight was released. It won't be many years after 47. Um, Firelight, not 64. Yeah, 1964, and he was 17. It was made for $500. $500 back then, I bet it was. It'd be a little oh, bit more, but I don't think, like here, it says he counted the receipts on the night that they showed it to people. Um, so, yeah, obviously... Did he make a lot of it? It said he made $1 profit. So, $501? Apparently so. Which is not a bad return for your first project. No, <laughs> at least you got your money back and then a bit of profit. Yeah, so... But it just shows that he's been into this since, like, that's the reason he got into filmmaking, mm-hmm. man. So it's uh, it's obviously very close to his heart. And then you've got, you know, Close Encounters and E.T. And that's all before Men in Black. So Holy Mountain. Steven Spielberg didn't have no involvement <laughs> in the making of the Holy Mountain. That's it's a, just all weird. All of Spielberg's stuff is pretty family-friendly. In... You ain't going anywhere near the Holy Mountain. Like, he'll talk... He'll. It's quite good, because, like, the Holy Mountain will show you this... You can talk about the Holy Mountain until the cows come home and it's esoteric meaning. Whereas Men in Black just gives you a few solid rabbit holes to go looking down, if you know what you're well, looking for. Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, you know, we'll do all of Spielberg's films eventually, and there's ones I've not seen, and probably show different parts of his... Well, if you guys haven't watched this yet, you should give it a go. Yeah. It's a great film. I've loved this film since I was, you know, when it first came out. Um, I highly recommend you go watch it. We'll probably watch the subsequent films in the series. I'm excited for them because I don't remember them at all. Mm. I sort of felt like I missed two. Two gets hate. Everyone hates two. It's actually like the one I remember the most. Well, I'll be the judge of that. It's got Lara Flynn Boyle in it too. You got that to look forward to, man. Who's that? Oh, you'll see. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm guessing it's a very beautiful woman. I mean, I don't really want to get into I shouldn't have bought it up. She's a controversial character. Had a lot of plastic surgery. Doesn't look like she looks now. She was in Twin Peaks back in the day. She's not in it anymore. It's... It's a complicated thing. We'll see. It was that deep this time. On it's not that deep. Uh, it was just a little bit too deep. Look, I could go deeper. I know you can. When you're ready. What do you mean? I'm ready now. You, you just said it was too deep. You've inherently gone back on your statement. But let's not get bogged down <laughs> in some sort of macho back look, and forth. Look, 
I mean, the film got. It doesn't matter. You're in the what? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's move forward. Thank you for listening. <laughs> on Thank it's, you. On it's not that deep, bro. Bro, you forgot the bro. You always forget it. I said it at the beginning of the episode. People you did. will attest. But you gotta say the full name. I was gonna. Go on. Everybody check out the Mystery School on Reddit. M-I-P-L-T-D on Instagram. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. I'm going in on a... I'm way past these chic MCs. I'm going in, going in. Full release gang. I wanna be the greatest Scratch that, I'm gonna be the greatest Believe it, I'm gonna be her car gate Someday beat my haters, achieve that status Reach my dreams and my aspirations Unleashing a beast when I release the heat on beats Trust me, I'll be smashing stages Don't know already, I'll be smashing stages Stages. I got jumpsuits coming in nice and hard Like eight trigrams and 64 bars I got bars on bars on bars on bars Nobody out there stopping me, dog. Trust me, I do things properly, dog. Pressure can't get on top of me, dog. So unless I win big with a lottery, dog. You're gonna see a lot of me, dog. Fight or die in this world that we live in I just pray I can say at the end of my days I hate shit for six and I did not give in And Jaffro had a good innings Cause recently I'd rather felt to give in So I prayed to the Lord, he told me go Pick up a sword and don't stop swinging Don't you dare even mention quitting Don't you dare even mention quitting Not whilst the hands of time still ticking Not whilst your mind is alive and you're winning Not whilst the fat lady still ain't singing Not whilst your mouth's on fire from spitting Not whilst the world around you still spinning So can I please get a moment of silence I'm still alive and kicking I'm doing things that them man won't I wanna win, them man don't Them man I hate just to hate on me so I wanna strangle them man's throats like I wanna work, they wanna chill I wanna mill, they wanna build Them man are happy with what they've got I want a big fat house on a hill I'm trying to put my time to good use Them man are trying to do what I do but they can't replicate the jutsus I unleash devastating jutsus Them man are happy with playing at pubs I wanna stop at festival slots I'm out here and I'm trying to do lots Feeling the strain of training too much Feeling like Drake Cause I need some really nice things And I need them coming my way And they better be coming with no strings Sometimes I find She keeps trying to get me down I've had way too much happen to me to let it get me now And when my band broke up I had to fill my stage alone They're telling me that I did it anyway And I could have done it on my own But what does that matter? See I'm just trying to do it how my God did it When he spoke and then he made something out of nothing I'ma do it with lyrics That means if I'm standing alone and I'm all on my own And a man wanna test me then it's bunkai Man wanna try me then tell him come try Nobody's backing it's still bunkai Man don't believe me then you'll see me Years from now we'll see you as on grind You're gonna see that I meant what I said when I told him That I'm not just on grind It's not just the shift it's not just the grind I'm putting in overtime all the time Holding my body and the soul in my mind Spiritual thing when I say bunkai I'm going in when I say bunkai Length section thing when I say bunkai Jaffro, barging through with a big bunker. I'm gonna wait for a bit and when I'm home, I'm gonna take my place on the throne. Move like Stormzy if man try warm. Tell my man, shut up. Hear this flow. Don't catch bodies, I just torture souls. Man must think that I whisper to ghosts. Cause we can say bunkai. When I say bunkai, I perform console on a man's soul. Different. Might come through like the blues. Don't mean Chelsea, I mean Elsie. See how they tell you that the truth hurts. Tell them man I hurt more than the truth. Tell them man I leave beats all broken. Tell them man I leave beats all bruised. Tell them man if you are and I say bunkai, you're gonna do more than lose. Fighting each other, right? So they incorporated that, you know, to some extent in their histories and in their belief systems.